Hello, welcome to Ducks on the Pond podcast. This is season two, episode one. I am Trent Ratting. I'm joined by Evan, Reed, and Liam, and we are really excited to kick off the first podcast of the season. Uh, this is our off-season podcast that we do for our fantasy league, Ducks on the Pond. We're a 12-team dynasty league. Uh, which I would say is one of the, you know, very most competitive leagues, at least I've ever been in. So it's, uh, it's, it's always a lot of fun. We, uh, we try to get together in the offseason and talk all about the fantasy and um, just MLB things that are going on. So today we have a fun show set up for you guys. We have, uh, first we're going to be talking about Actually, not not the free agent um, signings that we've had. We're going to wait for uh, some of the last few deals to come down the pipe, and we'll talk about them all in the next episode. But we're actually going to talk about some of the best free agents still out there in the MLB market. Then we're going to talk about a few trades that happened in our elite, in our league um, over the past week, and then finally we'll do an honest uh, analysis segment on one of our league members, kind of breaking down their team and. Uh, giving advice for how we think they should be moving forward. So uh, just to start off with, uh, we're going to be, um, just want to introduce some of the ducks we have on here to you. We have, again, Reed, Evan, and Liam. Um, so guys, uh, just, you want to give a quick sign on and uh, actually, you know, th- we had Thanksgiving this past week. What's, what's your, uh, what was the best thing you guys had for Thanksgiving this past week? Random fact start with you, Evan. Yes, this is Evan here. I've been on the show, I think, two or three times now, so it's great to be back. Excited for it. Uh, favorite Thanksgiving food? That's a tough one. A lot of good food. Um, probably uh, my girlfriend, Cassie, her aunt makes a sausage stuffing that was phenomenal. So probably that was the best food I had. Reed. Yep. Uh, Thanksgiving this year was good. This is Reed here. Uh getting back to the pod. Very excited for season two. Um, I would say uh, Thanksgiving this year, best thing I had um, was not homemade. It was from uh, Marion's Pie Shop in uh, Chatham, Massachusetts. Shout out to Marion's. Uh, makes a fabulous uh, apple and pumpkin pie. So I would say like both the pies there we had were very, very good. Uh, dessert was excellent this year. Um, but just all the usual uh, Thanksgiving stuff and uh, Excited to be back talking baseball with the fellas. Yeah, and uh, Liam here rounded off. Uh, I think I'm with Evan. I had sausage, homemade stuffing, and it was it was unbeatable as usual. Um, I don't think there's a better dish, but yeah, all good. I've never had it with sausage in it before. That's, that's it slaps. <laughs> I gotta try that. Yeah, you're you're missing out, Trent. <laughs> Two ducks said soft stuffing. I gotta try that. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for being on. And we're gonna we're gonna start off by talking about uh, some of the MLB free agents that are available. Um, you know, we again, we're, there's been so much activity on the market. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I just want to focus right off the bat on some guys that are still available. Um, so I actually kind of want to play a game here and I'll go to each one of you, give you a player. And I want you to tell me, um, is this guy uh, being underrated, overrated, or fairly rated um, in free agency this year? Is he going to, are, are they going to, is he going to be like overpaid or is he not going to be given or people or teams not going to give them as much as they deserve? Like, are they going to, how are team, our teams going to overvalue or undervalue these guys? So um, we'll start it off with you, Evan. How about, you know, a guy that is funny after all this, all this stuff that's happened, one guy we still see out there is Carlos Correa. What do you, what do you think about him? What do you think about that value there? Yeah, so I, I, I have Carlos Correa as underrated. Um, I think a lot of teams are kind of sleeping on him. I thought he was going to be one of the first to sign ahead of Baez and ahead of Seager. Um, He's a, I mean, he's a really, really good player, both on the defensive side and on the offensive side of, of baseball. Um, right now, it sounds, I'm leaning toward him going back to Houston, actually. Uh, I think, you know, now that Seager signed with Texas and Baez signed with Detroit, I really think he's going to end up back in, back in Houston. 
Um, and I'm hearing five years, 160 million as kind of a starting place. And I think that's great value for, um, for, for the Astros. Um, looking back since 2015, he's third amongst shortstops in war behind Lindor with 32.1 and Bogarts with 31.4 and he is 25.1. So, I mean, you're getting a, a, you know, top three shortstop over the yeah. last five or six years at, at a pretty good price for what we've seen free agents go for. Yeah, Evan, just piggybacking off that, I think that's a very interesting deal for not only for for the Astros, but also for Correa, if you're thinking about it, because if he's maybe looking at the market right now and no one's offering that $300 million deal that uh, that Seager got, um, that it may be, might be very interesting for him to take the five years from the Astros at $160 million, and then the cool thing for him would be that would make him a free agent again at age 32, so he could then come back and maybe sign another big deal after that, so... Um, it's not unheard of. I would think, you know, it's, it, I wouldn't be too surprised to see that actually come to fruition. And, you know, if you're the Astros, you'll take that. Cause you know, you get him within your window of contention. You don't have to be paying him after they're likely not con uh, contending anymore. So, um, keep an eye out for those Astros on that short-term deal. Yeah. And if he could negotiate in an opt out out of, after like three years, and if he, you know, kills it for three years and then can opt out and then sign a seven, eight year contract after that. I mean, that's a, that's a win-win for both of them. I'm with you guys. I think five, one, six, would be great value for Kreia, especially because you're getting him in those, those still prime years of his career. And obviously, like you mentioned, I mean, he's good on both sides of the ball and I, I obviously don't like him because he's on the Astros, but you know, it is what it is. If he gets anything remotely near what like Seeker got, I would be, I would be on the other side. I just, any long-term deal is just not going to be team-friendly when you get halfway through it. And especially with Correa, who's had injury issues uh, throughout his career, he hasn't been, like, the most sustainable in that sense. So it does make you wonder, especially, like, when you start to age, things start to get harder. But all in all, if you can get him under $200 million, like, less than seven years, that's a great team value. And I think, I mean, when that deal's up, I really don't, I wouldn't expect him to get, like, a huge deal after in terms of like years, but in terms of uh, like yearly salary, I'd still expect something big as long as he's performing the way he has. Um, but yeah, that's not, that's not a bad, bad potential deal, especially for the Astros. Yeah. To, to your point about injuries, Liam, take, I want you guys to each take a guess on how many games he missed between 2017 and 2019. 2017, 2019. Off the combined, top, I guess uh, 120. 120 from Reed. Yeah, combined, Liam. All right. Like 90? Am I just making it up in my head? 192. Holy Jeez. shit. That's so much more than I thought. <laughs> I thought 120 was going to be over. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. That's insane. That, like, then it goes to the point of, like, he hasn't, like, obviously when he's healthy, he's good. It's just a matter of, like, staying healthy. And there are other guys, like, Seeger has not been, like, the brightest spot for the Dodgers in terms of health. And he's still got 10 years at 300 billion. So it's obviously he can still get his money. It's just a matter of whether that deal turns to shit or not. Right. And let's, I mean, let's not forget Seager had literally like he had Tommy John, he had multiple major injuries back when he was with the Dodgers. Like um, he's got a lot of miles on him already uh, for his career. And, you know, he just got 10 year deal. So um, you got to wonder if you're the Rangers, I mean, they're going all in, you know, they have the middle infield of dreams right now, but uh, you got to wonder if that deal's going to backfire on them in the future. My only thing on that though is Seager's injury. I mean, he had like a broken hand or something like that, which was totally out of his control or something. I mean, something like that. And then he, that the arm injury was legit. I think there was him, but it was, I mean, and as a position player that wasn't, I mean, those aren't the kind of injuries you worry about so much, but you know, like something like Correa where he had that back injury, that's a, Thing you see it's kind of a recurring thing i mean at least for me that seems like higher risk even though yeah it's it's it i think you bring a good point reed i mean there still is risk associated with someone like seager even though you know his past few years have been okay so. yeah i mean seager is a success story coming back from that kind of injury you look at someone like uh like reese hoskins though on the other end who like hasn't been the same since um i don't think i don't think he had tommy john but he had a, a similar arm issue basically um avoided the surgery on it, but really hasn't been the same for the past two years. So, um, you know, you do hope for, you know, you know, I, I am rooting for the Rangers for that to work out. I think it's awesome what they did this year in free agency. So 
Um, I do hope it'll work out for them and Seager, but um, you do have to wonder with that kind of injury history. Sure. So turning this um, to another shortstop on the market, um, quick take, Liam, what do you think? Uh, Trevor's story, is he underrated, overrated, or going to be fairly rated in free agency this year? If you asked me before the 2021 season, I would say he'd be, I wouldn't say overrated, but overpaid. He'd still be great, but overpaid. But looking back at 2021, he wasn't bad, but if I remember correctly, he might have been injured for some of it, and he just didn't play the way he can play at his very top of the game. So I think the deal he gets is might look underrated or at least properly rated for, for what he's worth. And I especially think coming out of course, which he, he should unless the Rockies are stupid and sign him and have a terrible contract while they don't compete. Um, coming out of course is value. If you look at his splits, like it's clear he he benefits from playing of course. That's how he's still a great player. Still good. He he's still got speed. He's still got power. He can he can help on uh, both sides uh, of the ball. I'd I'd be shocked if he was overpaid at this point, just because he had a down season. And teams are going to try and take advantage of that. And if he wants to bet on himself, he could do like a Simeon and take take a one-year deal and try and play up. But I'd, I'd be a little surprised at that. But yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, he'll probably be around, around fairly paid, especially seeing like Baez didn't get overpaid too much, in my opinion. And I thought he was going to get way more than he deserved. And you're hearing the numbers with Correa aren't, aren't that bad. It looks like Seager might be the guy who gets overpaid at the end of the day. So... Honestly, I think story is probably going to get a fair value at this point. Right. It's interesting. I feel like, you know, the guys for the Rangers you know, definitely got paid pretty handsomely. But I feel like for most guys, they've at least gotten their – I mean, I feel like the AAV hasn't been as high. I feel like they've been – owners have been willing to give out years, but they haven't been – the AAV has been pretty fair. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, really, with the exception of the uh, Scherzer deal, which, uh, which, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just Steve Cohen, like being Steve Cohen. That's just billionaire stuff right there. But with the exception of non 10 billion plus net worth owners, um, yeah, we've seen a lot of deals that like your eyes pop at the total money being thrown out, which, you know, is, is significant. And that's, and that's good for the players. You know, you get that long term security there. But, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely seeing more spread out deals, less crazy AAV, less uh, Trevor Bauer type deals um, where they're getting the money all up front. Um, so uh, it's an interesting development. You have to wonder how much the lockout's playing maybe into that. Right. I mean, I wonder if that is like, I mean, because them not knowing what the salary levels are going to be. I mean, they, they probably have to assume like a 20 million, 25 million players aren't going to hurt them too much. But if there is any kind of, uh, you know, um, not a cap, but, you know, the luxury tax is unknown. So 30, you know, difference between 30 and 35 and 25 is pretty significant. So I have to wonder if that's, um, like you said, Reed, come on, come in, into thought right now. But any, uh, any other takes Can we quickly on... go back to Trevor's story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did say anything else in the story? Yeah, so Liam brought up the point about his splits home and away, outside of cores and, and inside of cores. Um, and it, it's obvious. I mean, he, he's a 241 hitter away from cores. I saw an interesting study today, though, that looked at all of his at-bats outside of cores and the splits between the first three games of the road trip and all subsequent games of that same road trip. So what it shows is that the first three games, he's terrible. And then all subsequent games, he bounces back closer to what his career averages have been. And it's, it's a product of pitches moving differently. Right. at lower elevations right. so what it really is it's an adjustment for three games and then once he adjusts he's able to compete at the level that he competes inside of cores so if he's able to go to a team and you know play at normal weather conditions and elevation all the time i think he's going to be able to perform closely to what he does at his peak in cores it's interesting you point that out i mean i, I know a study was done um, a few years back on that like that that cores effect and people think like oh yeah you're good there and not as good elsewhere and you're what you are on the road is who you really are but it, it's it's a, a cores actually like you're saying has a negative effect on your on your road stats because your your adjustments aren't as good you know so it's it's like when guys leave like dj lemayhu day no one Arenado, sure maybe their power goes down a little bit but you know they're still good players and i think um it's hard to 
necessarily just say a guy leaving cores is going to be like his road stats. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good take there. That's a fair point. And I, I I'm going to like ask a question. I don't know the answer. Like, wouldn't you think it would have a similar effect going back after a long road trip and having to readjust? So his, maybe his home numbers wouldn't be as good. And maybe it's just, he's so used to being there that it doesn't matter. Um, and there's not really an adjustment period, but it's just something of like going back and forth, especially for players coming into chorus too. Do you, like, you would think maybe that would have an effect if the ball's moving differently, whether it's better or worse, you still have to adjust. So that's like the only thing that I throw out there is so like, how, how does it only affect like story or something? Is there other players who are seeing that type of effect? This is supposed to be a universal thing. And I don't know, at least, you know, it would, the logic would, I mean, it's a good point. But I think the logic would be the, the break on the ball when you're going on the road from course is going to be more. That's why pitchers struggle to pitch at course because the breaking ball doesn't break as much, you know, as it would at lower elevation. So, I mean, it's, it's nice to hit when the ball doesn't break as much. Um, so yeah, probably why it's better to come back home. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's a story. You know, uh, Reed, why don't you why don't you give us Kenley Jansen? What do you think about Kenley Jansen? We haven't heard much about him. Yeah, Kenley is uh, an interesting case because you're looking at a guy who you you might be on the right situation on the right team still has the makeup to potentially be a closer. Um, he's got the experience and, you know, you might even make the argument that even if he goes to a team and he's not the best reliever, you give him the closer role anyway, just because he has that kind of background and that kind of experience with him. Uh, but you do have to wonder if he ends up on a team like, uh, say the Phillies, um, and, uh, they end up with like a Craig Kimbrell. Like, are you really going to make Kenley chance of the closer over Craig Kimbrell, for instance, I've just thrown out that scenario. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it, I would say, depending on, when you're looking at like his fantasy value, it really depends on where he ends up. Um, and uh, he could end up next year, like right back as a top five reliever, or he could be a uh, high, va uh, high value uh, middle relief guy or, or a setup guy, I should say. Um, so, uh, so it's very interesting. Uh, but uh, I would say he's, uh, he's nearing the end as far as his uh, fantasy relevance goes. So enjoy it while it lasts, if it does come back. What kind what, of deal are you go, – go ahead, Fuji. Yeah, that's what I was going to – I was going to say, what kind of deal do you expect and what percentage do you put on him signing back with the Dodgers and going elsewhere? Well, so I, as far as, like, the deal I expect, I'm looking at, you know, he's like he did have a, a very good year last year, 2.22 ERA, um, pitched nearly a full season, um, you know, 69 appearances, very, you know, very good numbers on the surface, but then you look at, you know, he's 34 years old. He's got declining stuff, declining velocity, declining movement. Um, you know, the, uh, the red flags I think are there, um, from a, uh, you know, just like a, the eye test, like it, 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 he's not the same guy as he was before. Now, maybe he figures out how to pitch with less velocity. Maybe that's no problem. But I think as far as like the deal, the kind of deal he's going to get now, I really don't see anything more than three years. Um, I'll throw out maybe three years, 40 million um, as, uh, as a realistic ballpark, maybe 45. Um, but I really don't see anything more than that. That's fair. I mean, yeah. to kind of segue as we're, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to some, a few other players, but just get your thoughts, guys, on like the Dodgers. I mean, they messed out on all these other free agents. I mean, should the Dodgers be worrying at all right now? I feel like no, because they're the Dodgers and they, they proved over the summer that they can go trade for Max Scherzer and trade Turner for pennies. Um, so I'm not really, and they, they develop talent, like, like nothing like them in Tampa Bay developing talent is easy. Um, so and they have deep pockets. They'll go spend if they really feel like they need it. It is weird to see them make these sort of like nickel and dime moves with Andrew Heaney and Daniel Hudson. Uh, there's, I think there's one other, I'm forgetting, but, it is. It's. It's. I think we've gotten so used to seeing them make big splashes in free agency. It's weird to see them lose. Not necessarily lose out. Maybe choosing to lose out on certain players or choosing to wait. And I wonder if it's related to the the CBA coming up, but or not coming up. You know, lockout coming up. But um, it's. It is. It's just like weird because we're used to seeing them do everything that that you would want them to do. So it's just I think unusual. Right. 
Yeah, yeah I, I agree with Liam. I think it's a little soon to worry about the Dodgers. They have quite a bit of depth. Um, they are bringing back Trey Turner next year, so they do still have him in the cards. Um, Cody Bellinger will hopefully bounce back to maybe not his MVP levels, but something nearing a leap. Um, and uh, starting pitching depth-wise, you know, like they lose Max Scherzer, sure, but they've got Tony Donson waiting right in the wings, who's, a, you know, per- like, sure, he's not going to put up Scherzer numbers, but, you know, he's a very capable back-of-the-rotation arm. Um, so the depth pieces are there to make up the losses. It's just a question of what does the rest of the NL do um, and can they get bounce back seasons from Cody Bellinger? Um, can Tony Gonsolin come back and pitch a healthy season? Um, there's some question marks for sure, but I think it's uh, uh, too early to panic at this point. I think this is the most question marks we've seen out of the Dodgers in the last four, five years. I mean, Absolutely. Mookie Betts is concerning. I mean, is he ever going to be MVP level again? I don't know. The hip injuries are concerning and he's starting to get old. You lose Scherzer. Now you're relying on Kershaw who's aging. I mean, I think the door is closing here for this team. And if they're missing out on some of these big time free agents. Um, yeah. I would say it's too, too early to panic on the, the alarm. Bells Watch your mouth, Evan. Reed's going to get some hurt feelings after that bookie slide. Yeah, I mean, you said he's getting old. He's 29. I mean, like that's, that's not old. Um, and, you know, when he was actually on the field last year and he was playing with one hip, he was still playing at an elite level with one hip. So um i i think it's um i think it's too early to make the andrew mccutcheon comparisons that have been that have been thrown around but one hip having one hip one good hip is not a good thing when you're yeah, he's, got a, full, he's got a full season off season to rest now he, it, it, like okay yes if he comes back and he sucks in april then i'll be worried but um if he comes back and he's the same old guy i, I you know everyone plays hurt sometimes you know like the p- players have hurt seasons especially guys that play for like 15 20 years you're going to have off years where you get, you know, you get an injury that's nagging you. Let's hope that this is like Mookie's like one off year. He comes right. back and he's uh, the same old Mookie again afterwards. I mean, I love Mookie, but it would absolutely be comical to watch him just like sink you. <laughs> it's not Reed has happen. enough roster depth where like Mookie wouldn't, him being underperforming wouldn't hurt you too bad. But I mean, the Dodgers though, I think it would because like, I think it, I think they really are going to ride and die by how good Cody Bellinger is. If Cody Bellinger does not perform at the level that he did before, I think they're in big trouble. Um, Max Muncy is not, I mean, it is, has a little bit of an injury going into the year. That's a, that's a risk. I mean, they're going to be starting Gavin Lux at second base. He could be fine, but it's not going to be the same kind of production they had. Trey Turner is a great player. You know, Justin Turner is a year older. I mean, and you still got a good player in Will Smith. I mean, their rotation doesn't have the same depth as it did. Um, neither is their bullpen. I mean, they don't have Kershaw there right now. Can I can I interject just about Cody Bellinger? Yeah. Could you guys raise your hand if you had a zero war this year in the MLB? Everyone's raising their hands right now. You guys can't see. Everyone's raising their hands. <laughs> Cody Bellinger cannot raise his hand because he had a negative 0.8 war. So um, that man is in the graveyard right now, and Dave's crying. But um, <laughs> I would just to, to harp on that. I would be really shocked to see Cody Bellinger go beyond All Star level at least in the next year. Um, and he's nothing close to a sure thing, especially if you look at any of the underlying numbers. It's right. he he's performing the way I exactly thought he would perform coming into the league, because he has a massive hole in his swing. And he obviously, I think there's probably something mental with him too, just like whatever it is his approach. But uh, like you guys said, like. I think the season largely hinges on Cody Bellinger coming back to performing like the way he could. Um, and if Mookie's not healthy, they're really screwed. Right. So you're saying Cody Bellinger is just potentially uh, uh, Kessie Hura with uh, more star power? Yeah, I mean, Cody Bellinger might might just be a flash in the pan. He had like, what, two or three great years and then just right. kind of they fell off. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's like it's tough to play any worse than he played last year. I mean, I'll say yeah. that. Like, so is I, that a challenge? I don't you know. Challenge <laughs> play worse? Well, any worse than that? And he's uh, he's in Triple A, so uh, he, he has a lot of potential. But you know that, like you said, Liam, that swing has a big hole, and and it's just not um, not not that. I mean, there's there's also like his ceiling and floor has such a big gap between it. And I, to me, like, again, the thing about the Dodgers isn't, I mean, they have good talent at the major league level, but I actually think their depth is less than it's ever been. Like people always talk 
about, oh, yeah, they have a great player development, and they do, and they will. They'll have more guys coming in a few years. But the thing is, they've traded a lot of their top prospects to get a lot of the guys that were there now. And now um, a lot of their secondary players like Jock Peterson, like Chris Taylor, like um, I'm missing another. Oh, like Kike Hernandez, they've all they've all left. And now who's that next wave for the Dodgers? You know, where's that? The, the top prospects are a few years away. So I think we're actually going to see them not be I mean, they might have to kind of take a step back this year and then regroup and then come back again if they start to struggle, because I just don't think they have the same depth they have in the past. I don't know. That's my thought. They're, they're definitely making it, if they don't do anything, like, huge pre- or post-lockout, they're definitely, like, letting the Padres sort of weasel their way back in after really disappointing last year. So maybe that maybe that's, like, part of the, the, the context is they didn't feel threatened by San Diego after seeing last year. So, I mean – I don't know. It's, it definitely makes the NL West a lot more interesting if they're not going to go balls to the wall like they usually do. Yeah. Right now, who would you rather have in Dynasty Fantasy Baseball? Lourdes Gurriel or Cody Bellinger? Dude, I'll take Adam Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> Reed, what's your answer? <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. If I say the thing I want to say, I'm going to get flamed for it. Um, I mean – Lourdes Gurriel is safer right now than Cody Bellinger. I mean, like, that's crazy to say, but like. That's you know, a great way to put it, Reed. That's like, let's put it that way. It like, you know, safer. if you if you want to make the safe pick, Lourdes Gurriel is the safe pick right now. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I'd take Bellinger. <laughs> I mean, higher ceiling. He plays first yeah, base. I, I, I have one position. Yeah, yeah I'm, just, I'm still taking Bellinger too. But I mean, the, the yeah. fact that that question comes up, I know. something. <laughs> no, I had to think about it. So. Last uh, last player I want to talk about real fast here, and uh, Evan, I'll let you take this one. Is uh, Carlos Rodon has another is a read player, but uh, what do you what do you think about Carlos Rodon? Or is it is he underrated, overrated, or going to be or fairly rated in free agency this year? I am so happy you brought him up. Um, so Evan, Evan uh, was supposed to talk about him first. Go then, for it, Reed. Reed. No, I got to take it. Go for it. Um, I'm going to say underrated, but with a huge risk. Um, because I will say this, like he's be like the, the questions about the durability and the shoulder and all that are really going to drive that contract value down. And if someone gets him and all that turns to be a bunch of hoopla and he, uh, and he's the same guy or close to the same guy again, you know, obviously you can't expect a 2.37 ERA again, but like, if you get something like, you know, close to a three ERA with like those strikeout numbers and likely for under $20 million a year that's a steal for whoever gets him. So um, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to take the uh, risky path and go undervalued on uh, Carlos Rodon. Evan. I, I haven't been overrated. Uh, I think somebody is going to pay him way too much money. I, I think a team will be lucky to get a full season out of him again. I think last year was a complete flash in the pan. Looking back his career strikeout percentage, 24.9 last year, 34.6 his career walk rate, 9.4 last year, 6.7%. His lowest expected ERA before last year was 3.68. Last year was 2.68. I mean, the, what he was able to do last year is just nowhere close to what he's done in his career. Well, so all I'm hearing from that is that last year, the metrics back up what he did right. last year. <laughs> well, even if you believe in what he did last year, what I don't believe in is that health record. I mean, I just, I just don't believe, I would not sign him to a long-term deal. I don't trust him, especially on the other side of 30. Um, I mean, even if you believe in the stuff, which I mean, you could, but didn't he, didn't he see his velocity go down throughout the season, Reed? Well, yeah, I mean, he, towards the end of the season, he did have well-documented shoulder fatigue, um, which was lowering his velocity at the end of the season. Um, and I mean, like, you do have to want, I mean, it's one of two things. You do have to wonder, like, you know, is it his injury history coming back again? You know, like, you do have to question, can he pitch a full season? But also, um, it's a thing that he pitched, like, a, I think combined, like, 40 innings, like, the, pre the previous two seasons. And then right. the White Sox had him pitching, like, 140 innings afterwards. Like, that's, you know, pretty much any pitcher would, I think, run into issues at that point. So, it's a question of, like, is it is it just him? Is it, like, you know, his, his shoulder, is his shoulder the problem? Or is it the fact that the White Sox ran him into the ground for a full season and then, you know, really all he needs is, like, a season off, comes back, or, or I should say an off season to recover, um, you know, comes back and, you know, maybe he's never that 200 innings pitch guy, but, like, if he can get, like, 
maybe 160 like more healthy innings out of him this year. You know, you got to wonder. Um, Wait, do you know how many times he's pitched 160 innings in his career? I'm guessing not once. Once, 165. Oh, oh, once. Okay, all right. That's, that's the most. One more time than I thought. <laughs> last year was the second most. Last year, I think, uh, oh, I was just under the second most, so third most innings he's pitched. But that was the first time he's hit over 100 innings since 2018. And the year before that, he only he pitched like 70 innings too. He hasn't he hasn't pitched over 150 innings since 2016 when he was 23. Uh, I mean, I think to your point, Reed, bringing him back and making him throw 130 innings after being gone for basically two years is kind of stupid on the White Sox part. And maybe that's old man Larusa, or maybe that's just like their leadership and management being complete idiots. Probably both. But, um, but I mean, I'd be stunned to see him with like below a three, like mid three ZRA. Best case, I just the injury best issues. Wow. I I mean, like realistically, all right. So I don't. I'm saying that full season. Like if you if he pitches like a three ERA with like ten starts, like come on. But I see because I mean, if he pitches up like 150 innings, let's put it at that. That's realistic to, for a full season for him if he's healthy and he pitches below like a three, four or something like that. You got all your money's worth. But again, to Trent's point, I would not feel comfortable betting on him long term remotely, especially for like some team that's desperate for pitching would do it. Hopefully, it's the Mets. I mean, this is why he's the most high risk, high reward pitcher on the market because he's literally like he literally reinvented himself last year i don't know i would pitcher. argue robbie ray's even more high risk high reward i agree that's a decent I point we, I mean, I my point is that he basically really like, feeling almost that. like you know you almost have to throw out the early part of his career i mean it, it, maybe not in terms of like the injury history but in terms of like the numbers because he came back and you know if you look at his profile last year and like his pitches, his velocity, his movement was all just completely different from the start of his career. He reinvented himself as a pitcher. So, um, you know, it's like to your point, Evan, as far as like those expected numbers um, prior to last year, I mean, those are almost irrelevant, I would say at this point. It's really just a question of is the shoulder healthy? Um, and, you know, if yes, then I, I think he can come back and be exactly the same guy he was uh, last year going forward. But what makes you think he can come back and do that if he's never done it before? Well, I don't know. That's uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm an optimist on my fantasy team. Uh, like, I'm, gonna, so I'm, I'm taking then. the last six seasons and not last season. The, the reality, I mean, the harsh reality is that no one knows um, what's going to happen. We really don't know. Absolutely true. That was, yeah, good take, guys, on all the different free agents. Um, again, we'll come back next week to talk, or next time we come on to talk all about the different free agents have been signed. I mean, there's been such a whirlwind and there's going to be, there could be anything else that happens between now and then we'll just we'll let the dust settle and all of the, uh, we'll have plenty of time. I'm sure during the lockout to discuss everybody who's, who's been signed, but uh, I want to move now to our fantasy league. And uh, this segment, we're going to be discussing uh, the trade that was made actually between two people on this podcast uh, Reed traded uh, Whit Merrifield to Liam in exchange for um, Luis Severino and Jorge Polanco. Um, and don't forget the third rounder. Oh, and the third rounder for is it this year's draft? Or next year's draft? Next year's draft. I got third draft. Draft. I, I only have uh, fourth and fifth rounders for this year's draft. <laughs> oh no! Trade so, so these guys were trade. Um, yeah, these guys did a trade um, before. You know, we, Evan and I give our take, um, like Reed and Liam, I'd love to get your guys' take on, like, why did you make the trade? Why did you think it made sense for your team at this point? Like, what were you thinking when you did the trade? Reed, start with you. Uh, so for me, it was, it was really tough to trade with. Um, I honestly, I came into the season, like, not thinking that I would trade him. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it, it just in my classic uh, business first mantra, you know, I'm always uh, looking for offers. Um, no one is truly untouchable on my team except save maybe Mookie Betts. Um, what about so, Vladdy? What? Vladdy's not untouchable? No one's ever going to pay what Vladdy's worth. But <laughs> anyway, the point is, um, you know, like I, I wasn't anticipating trading um, Wit, but Liam and I have historically been uh, pretty good trade partners. And uh, he came in with a rock solid offer of uh, Jorge Blanco, who I have very high hopes in going forward um, in continuing his breakout season last year, as well as um, 
Luis Severino, who I've kind of gone back and forth on as far as like, do I like him? Do I not like him? But the fact that I needed relief pitcher help this year, and he's going to be RP eligible for our league in 2022, you can almost use him like a super RP. Um, that really sold me on uh, Sevy there, uh, being able to plug him in, even with a likely innings limit from him this year, you know, you really only can expect 120 to 130 innings pitched. That coming from your RP slot is still huge. So I, I think that's the combination of those two things is um, really what sold me on this deal. And uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll let Liam get into his side there, but I have some very enticing uh, Jorge Polanco numbers that I'd like to get into. Uh, like, yeah, I, was uh, just gonna, I was just going to ask that, Reed, what your, what your expectations are for Jorge Polanco going forward. So I'll, I'll let Reed save, save it if you want. I'll come back to that. Right, so save your Jorge Polanco. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, I'm a fan of Jorge Polanco. What he did last year, I, like I owned him. I, I saw him what he was doing on a weekly basis. His second half is beyond unsustainable for Jorge Polanco. I think he's a good player, but, and he's got second base eligibility. He's middle infielder. So 25 and 10, I think, is realistic for him, especially you look at his 2019 season, too. He was probably on pace for something similar, and maybe he exceeded that. Like I think what we just saw was his peak. So for me, it's selling high on a player that I felt was expendable considering I had plenty of second base depth and Whit Merrifield, the second baseman coming back. So it really wasn't an issue for me there. And then Sevi, I mean, I, I have pitching depth and, you know, I have, I'm going to try and trade for a bigger arm and Sevi's not super reliable going into this season. And like, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from him long term either. Like he had, Three injuries last year, not just Tommy John recovery. He had shoulder injury when he was recovering, and he had a groin injury that he strained twice while recovering from uh, those. So he's not exactly the most healthy pitcher, and I really needed steals. So Witt was easily the option. Getting like 30-plus steals from second base is great. And one thing about Witt is he's played – so many games throughout his career he's like an iron man like if you look at his games played it's let me pull it up real quick where are we yeah i think the last time he, did like, he barely like, misses games he plays 140 yeah he plays like 140 150 games like automatically so knowing that i'm essentially getting an iron man playing second base and what's on a world's team that likes to run and is probably going to be improved next year with some young talent coming up i think it's an exciting offer and it, it just feels safe to me i think reed's value on Polanco and Sevi, it's essentially a high risk high reward I think he has the potential to win this deal but he has the potential to lose it completely too and I just feel like I got the safe side he got the high risk high reward side oh I 100% agree with that um and uh and actually like to your your wit point about uh durability that's an excellent point I think he's actually uh correct me if I'm wrong I think he's currently the MLB leader in uh, games played in a row. I don't, I think he hasn't yeah. missed games since like 2018 or something crazy. It was like 400 and something games. It was something yeah, ridiculous. So, um, yeah, especially his age, I mean, like he's getting up there in, uh, in age um, for, for the way he plays. So, uh, yeah, 100%, you know, easily lock him in for, I'd say, 30 stolen bases next year. Uh, and that coming from the second base position is uh, truly a game changer. So, uh, you know, agree on all those like, points. 100%. That was the, that was a piece I needed to really start to put myself in the conversation to contend next year, which is, you know, what I'm trying to do, obviously. Um, so it was just one step forward because I really didn't have anyone to steal more than like maybe 20 bags. So that was kind of big for me. Reed, before you talk about, Jorge Polanco, where are you going to make up those steals? I know you're trying to go for it. Where, where do you get those steals from? That is a very good question. And, and honestly, that's the toughest part about losing wit is losing all those stolen bases. Um, even with my, my most optimistic uh, Jorge Polanco projections, um, I really can't expect anything more than maybe 10 to 15 stolen bases from him, which is, you know, it's not nothing, but it's definitely a substantial loss from what wit would give you, which, you know, wit would give you an easy 30, likely even 40 um, stolen bases at that position. So the reality is I am, uh, you know, I'm going to have to go out in the market and, uh, look to make up those stolen bases somehow, whether it's, uh, trading another one of my, maybe trading one of my power hitting outfielders for someone a little more balanced, um, in the, uh, home run stolen base category. I never like to, my personal strategy, I never like to sell out completely for stolen bases. I like to find guys that have a mixture of uh, power and speed, but, um, you know, I do have a lot of guys right now who are like all power, for instance, like uh, Fran Mil Reyes. So um, maybe the answer is uh, trading someone like Fran Mil Reyes for a, uh, 
not that Liam would do it, but like, you know, like Dylan Carlson, I'll throw out a name right there. Um, you know, some, someone like yeah, that. Dylan Carlson teams, doesn't bro. steal. That's all I mean. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, no, Dylan no, I get your point. Would steal base. The, the point is, you know, I like uh, someone that gives you a little bit more of a blend of the stats. So sure. that's, um, yeah, it's a good question. It's a, uh, it's something I'm definitely still working on. And uh, there's a lot of off season left. So I'm confident that, um, you know, come April that I'll uh, figure out the stolen base situation going forward. Um, so yeah, we're, I got some Polanco though. Can I get to my rant on Jorge Polanco now? <laughs> uh, all right. So Jorge Polanco, I'm a big believer in the Jorge Polanco breakout. Um, and I'll throw out some numbers at you. Here's why. Um, so really starting in 2019, actually, you can go back to 2019 on Jorge Polanco. So when he started his breakout, um, slashed, uh, 295, 356 OBP, um, 485 slugging, uh, that year, you know, not like not all MLB numbers, but, uh, I would say all, like, you know, all-star level, if not close to that, uh, use a, uh, 4.1, uh, yeah, 4.1 war player that year, um, 120, um, weighted runs created plus basically across the board, he was, um, an above average, uh, second, not even an above average second baseman, an above average MLB hitter, um, in general. Um, and then he uh, had a pretty nasty ankle injury um, in uh, 2020 that really, um, you know, in the short season in 2020, you know, like 60 games, it's really tough to uh, come back from that. Um, so 2020 had some pretty ugly numbers, um, only a 654 OPS, uh, had offseason ankle surgery after 2020 to fix it. And uh, in April, it was only in April 2021, he was only hitting 160. And, uh, you know, people were wondering if he was a flash in the pan and, and rightfully so, you know, because uh, he only really had one good year under his belt at that point. Uh, but let me throw out these numbers for you, because after April 20th, he turned it on. Uh, we're not just talking about a uh, second half breakout. We're talking from April 20th to the end of the year. He hit 300, 354, 561 with 27 homers wow. from April 20th to the end of the year. Um, and Liam mentioned the all-star break after the all-star break, he was even better. He hit 335, 379, 670 with 15 homers after the all-star break. Uh, now, okay. 335, that's not coming back, but he already showed in 2019, he can hit for a high average. He showed he can hit 290. He ended 2021 with two, with a 269 average. And a lot of that's due to that 160 average back in April. So you're looking at a guy that can very realistically put up a 290 to 300 average with a 350 to 360 OBP. And if that slugging's legit, he can slug over 500. You're looking at an 860, 870 OPS guy from the second base position. And I'm really, I'm going to throw out this name. He could be Jose Ramirez. He could, he could be, he could literally put up maybe minus the stolen bases. He could put up. Minus the stolen, that's the half of Jose Ramirez's value. What are you talking about? Well, Jose, I mean, yeah, because Jose Ramirez is going to steal 30 bases. Sure. But literally you're looking at like, okay, 15 stolen bases. 30 plus homers and, and OPS almost at 900 in the high 800s at the second base position. Like that is huge. That is top five second base numbers right there. And, you know, like, yes, you lose the second, you lose the stolen bases from Whit Merrifield right there, but that's all coming from a guy who's 28 years old. And I got four years younger at the position compared to Whit, who's 32. So yeah. you get all that, all that going for you. And I got Luis Severino in that deal. He made it sound it's just good. I, I think <laughs> Polanco is a great player. I think the breakout is real. I don't think the breakout is 330 real. Like, like well, I'm, you're, I'm with you're you. 330, you can't anticipate that. No, no, I'm saying 300 <laughs> average 30 homers and like oh, 10 okay. plus stolen bases. I think 300 I think average. That's, is cool. I think that's pretty unrealistic to ask. I mean, if he gets it, great for you. That's, I mean, that's it's cheap. the ceiling, but I think, you know, two, he hit 290 in a full, in a full year. And like, he basically he had he hit 290 with a little less power in 2019. Last year he showed even more power, um, and uh, you know if you look past April 20th, he showed that average again too. So, I although think if I do if I do recall towards the end of the season, I think the last month he started to really slow down on me and it sucked. Not that it mattered because I wasn't. No, you're right. He hit. Um, I think it was in the 230s. Um, for all yeah. The so I mean, I I seriously think that last year was him at his peak. And he's going to regress to something good, but not not insane. And you, if expecting 330 homers and like 10 to 15 stolen bases is just quite a lot to ask for. It's it's an optimistic projection for sure, but um, but I think like that's 
I believe it in my heart. I think he can pull that off. And I, and, you know, just yeah, like you believe Rodon can pitch what 150 innings. I, I, like you know, I, I believe in Jorge Polanco's breakout more than I believe in Carlos Rodon. Uh, well, yeah, that's a, that, um, there we go. There's an old take. <laughs> so let's, right let's, let's take someone who is not involved in the trade. Evan, Evan, what's your take on this? What do you, what do you think? Who, who won this deal? Yeah. So from the outside looking in, I think it was, I think it was a fair trade. I mean, Liam, Liam and Reed pointed out all the, the positives and negatives of, of each of the players, but I think Liam ultimately bettered his team the most. I think stolen bases behind a good starting pitcher is one of the toughest commodities to get in our league and getting somebody who has, I mean, stole 40 bases last year. That's unbelievable. Yeah. He's 32, but showing no signs of really declining. I think Liam's can anticipate, I mean, easily 25 plus stolen bases from with Merrifield next year and being such a hard commodity to get. I think that's the biggest win in this deal. Um, if Luis Severino, you know, can bounce back and maybe in two years, he's pitching more than 120 innings for Reed and Polanco. Yeah. is hitting 30 home runs a year. Then yeah, Reed wins the deal. But I think right now, Liam better his team the most. Yeah. I mean, I do have to agree with that, that um, Liam's take that uh, he had the safer under the deal is hundred percent accurate. Um, you know, like wit is, uh, one of the one of the most dependable guys in MLB in fantasy, um, even you know even as he approaches you know his mid thirties, um, you know I'd say it's like very safe to depend on his numbers, and you just hope from my end that my crazy Jorge Polanco projections turn out to be true. <laughs> but as as a team that finished on the podium last year, do you think that was the best team the best move for you to make? I think just with my team situation, I think it made sense because if like. Ideally, I keep wit and I keep his stolen bases, but I really did need the help at relief pitcher. Um, the Matt Barnes deal I made last year was a flaming dumpster fire of a deal for me. Absolutely terrible. Um, you know, you can't depend on Matt Barnes to be a good RP for you in 2022. So you're looking at like what's left for me. And, you know, what, what was left for me at the time was Liam Hendricks, who's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm fully confident that he will be the full-time closer for the White Sox next year. But besides him, you know, who else did I have? I had Paul Sewald. Um, who was, uh, you know, like, whoa, 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 you're, you're talking about Paul Stewart like he's nothing. You're, yeah, even though <laughs> I mean, he, he, he came game. out, of, I mean, During he admittedly came out of season. nowhere. Like, you don't know what he's going to do next. And so, you, like, yeah, I know I have him. And then I have Denelson Lamette, who, uh, might be a starting pitcher next year, might be the Padres closer, um, or might be a middle relief pitcher who gives you nothing, or might be hurt all year again. Who knows? You have no idea what Probably he's Probably the latter. <laughs> but yeah the point i mean you, you can't depend on him um I've, you know I mean, and I, as i mentioned before i've matt barnes um uh, so really you know the options were uh were lacking there uh and i really needed that relief pitcher help and you know like you know i go back to like sevy super rp sevy is really what sold me on that deal um the ability to plug him in you know obviously after 2022, he's going to be a starting pitcher going forward, you know, but the fact that like for this year, he's a stopgap at RP for me, you know, until I can more figure out that, that position long-term, I think that's going to be huge um, for my short-term contention window. Trent, what do you, what do you think looking in from the outside? Yeah, I, I really like uh, Sevy in the long-term if the injuries aren't, don't come back, but I think as Yankee, even as Yankees fan, I think, I think I would be kind of worried uh, about Sevy, I mean, he has just not been able to stay on the field, even in his comeback attempt last year. I mean, he just had just a random injury after random injury come up. Um, even if, you know, he was fully healthy, he's going to have what, like 120 innings next year, you know, and I don't even think he'll, he, there's, I mean, that's really optimistic that he'd be completely healthy, you know, so it's a massive risk. Though I do think, again, like he has that dynamite stuff and that'd be great from the, I, th I think if he's pitching, I think he's going to give you good stats and that'll be good from the release spot. So I think there is short-term value in that read. Um, and I think that your team, the way it's built with all that offensive depth could use that pit needs that pitching, you know? So if it works out, you have a short-term solution at like relief pitcher and have a long-term um, solution at starting pitcher where you really need help. So I think it can work out really well for you. I mean, Liam, I like the deal for you because you're going to, I mean, with your, where your contention window is, um, I think you're going to, I think you need those steals um, now. So I actually think it's one of those win-win deals where it could work out well for both of you guys. 
I got one more comment on Witt. He is 32, and I'm not expecting to steal 30 to 40 bases forever, but his sprint speed on, like on StatCast, he's still 87 percentile. So, and he definitely knows how to steal, not that he's just fast. And Kansas City obviously knows how to get the most out of like base stealers. So I think there's a good chance his stolen base threat lasts for for several years. It's not gonna like fall off. Um, so yeah, that's like one thing about him. I think really yeah. No, I totally agree. I think you're about you still have probably two more, at least two more good years of value in him, which is plenty of time if you're trying to contend. So yeah, I mean that very it's t- it's very tough to see him go, but I, I am satisfied with the value I got for him. Sure. Yeah, no, I think great deal from both of you guys. Um, so with with the reigning time we have, we have about 15 more minutes. Um, would love to discuss, uh, kind of get, get to our final segment. This is a segment we're going to be doing every time now. And this is what we call uh, just honest analysis. We're just going to give just our honest thoughts on one team in the league, one team that, uh, and like this is, this is meant to be helpful to that team. But, you know, sometimes... You know, when, when you look at your team yourself all the time, you kind of get kind of get narrowed in. You don't really you might miss some things. Well, we're going to give an outsider's perspective on this team, on a team, somebody who's not here and uh, give, give them some analysis that hopefully will help. So we're going to um, this this week's team we're going to break down is going to be um, Bimes team, which is the Mandalorians. Uh, so, guys, I'd love to just break down this team from every perspective um but just to start out with like what's just on a high level you know where where do we think the strengths of this team are um starting with you evan like where where, where's the strength in this team this team has some serious building blocks i think the team is right teetering on that edge of finishing a rebuild and being ready to contend i think two pieces away from being a top five teams in the league I mean, you've got guys like Shane Boz on the pitching side um, who could break out big time this year um, and be a top maybe even 20 pitcher in baseball this year. And then you add in, you know, he's got Ronald Acuna Jr. He's got um, Bo Bichette. I mean, two of the best young stars in baseball to build around. So I think this team is seriously ready to break out. What about the rest of you guys? What do you think? What, what other things really stand out as big strengths? Yeah, I have to say, I think, Bimes team, it's really set up well for the future and for like and for the present. And he just needs to make a few moves to really go for it. And that's the one thing I think Bimes hasn't really showed is like the conviction and like making deals. He seems like a very hesitant person when it comes to that. So I think he and he doesn't even need to eat to like add a ton, in my opinion, because like you have coal in the rotation to, to to hold it down. You got Logan Webb last year, came out of nowhere, and you can sort of count on him as your, your second starter. With the guys like Boz, Pablo Lopez, um, Michael Kopech coming into the rotation this year. He's got a lot of like young arms coming in to join those two guys now. So his rotation, I think, is, I wouldn't say risky. It could be a little bit boomer bust, but I, I think it's going to be more boom than anything. And he's got, like, Huge star power. Olsen, Bryant, Bichette, uh, Stanton, Otani, and Acuna. Those are all huge names. The one thing, and Perez, that catcher, obviously has been the best after that historic season last year. I think the one thing he needs to do is he needs to shore up his depth. It's, it's just, there's like, seems like a big gap between the best players and his sort of bottom tier players. You really need to sort of maybe sell off one of those better players for like two good players that can help you build that depth and fill out that team. Because if you lose like a guy like Acuna, like that happened last year. And Otani hasn't been like a super healthy guy since he's come over to the MLB. You lose those guys and Sal Perez came off of an injured season too the year before. So he's got some guys on there that have shown injury history in the past. So if you lose one or two of those guys, it really kills any chances you're going to have to contending with this current roster. So I think building up a little bit better depth is should be by his priority. And that's not going to take too, too much. I, I think I'll, I'll go right off that. I mean, there's no team with a bigger difference between their top end talent and their, like their bottom talent than Bime. Like he has so much top end talent, but meanwhile, you know, like he has Brandon Marsh as a starting outfielder. He has David Fletcher still on his team. Gene Segura 
still on his team. I know some people like Max, Max Stassi. I really don't like Max Stassi if you're trying to win something. I, it isn't, I mean, it's just replacement value or lower for a catcher too. Um, I mean, Keeper Ruiz is there. Yeah, yeah, he'll bring in Ruiz probably. But even Ruiz, you know, you're going to have to imagine there's there might be some time for him to get acclimated yeah. a little bit. Um, like Cole Irvin, I don't, I don't like so much. I think his whole bullpen has a chance to – could to be okay or could you know he his bullpen was a strength last year none of those guys could be closers this year i mean that that's a huge risk and i don't know if you think about it right everything went right for his lineup last year aside from acuna you know and he still like was how far away from winning so you know it's like that tells you like you have to do something to get to where you know to get to where you want to be you're not going to be able to keep doing what you're doing and be able to to win something's going to change and he's Bimes and just kind of getting into other advice, like he's rooting on, he's been talking a while about how he's trying to do a rebuild and he's relying on these prospects he's got coming. I actually don't believe in the prospects he has. I mean, Jason Dominguez, I'm a Yankees fan as much as anybody, but there's a huge risk there. And I mean, it could be as much as anybody. I like Zach Bean, but he's still a few years out. Like Mackenzie Gore, like ton of risk. Asa Lacey, I don't like. Daniel Lynch, I don't like. I mean, Pepio, I don't like, I mean, I like a little bit, but I don't like Clark Schmidt's not doing much for, not doing anything for him. Neither is Debbie Garcia. Both of those guys are taking up spots. I don't think he has the youth he thinks he has to come and infuse into his team. He had Shane Boz. That was a great, you know, great infusion. I don't think he has the youth coming that he thinks he does. He needs to make a move now with the big pieces he has to, to try and move this team forward. What do you guys think about that? I 100% agree with all the points you guys made. I think, um, like, like, first off, I think Bime's team is like one of my, one of the favorite teams, I think, for like these up and coming teams. I, I love this team. I love the star power on this team. Uh, but yeah, he needs to get aggressive as far as like his window to win starts now. Um, and he needs to, you know, exit the rebuild mode and enter the win now mode. And with that, you know, comes some tough decisions as far as, um, you know, what do you do with Jason Dominguez? Do you move him for a Zach Wheeler, um, which I think would make a lot of sense for Bime for his rotation. Um, you look at the, I don't want to, I don't want to bash him too much for the lead pitcher situation because that is just yeah. so volatile year to year. Sure. Um, but yeah, he could use some improvements there. Um, Hector Neris went off to Houston. So he's likely not going to be closing games out there anymore. So that's one guy you lose there. Um, Richard Rodriguez is uh, solid. He could get some saves down in um, uh, down in Atlanta, so uh, potentially given the situation. So um, yeah, you just but you're. I mean, really, it comes down to like his star power is unbelievable. You know, the fact that you have Shohei Otani who can play not only util but you can plug him in at a starting pitcher. He might even get outfield eligibility next year, which would be crazy. Um, you know, like the the versatility that he gives you is unmatched. Um, and, uh, and just like across the board, the number of stars that he has is, uh, is pretty unheard of for a team that was, so to speak, rebuilding uh, up until next, uh, last year. Um, but, uh, you know, sixth place finish last year. His team is without a doubt on the rise. And uh, it's time to uh, start being aggressive and start making moves. Yeah, the, the three moves I make if I'm buying this offseason, I go out and acquire a top end closer. I agree with all your points about the rotation. I don't think I don't think you win this league unless you get to about 80 saves. So I think he needs to go out and get a top guy there. I'm going out to get a SP3 that I know is going to pitch 180 innings and give me decent ratios. And I'm consolidating star power on the offense to get some depth. Those are the three moves I'm making. Absolutely. I like those moves. Do you think like, that Zach Wheeler is a fit on this team? Like in the sense that should Bind be going out of his way to uh, trade for him, given the price that he's probably going to have to pay, or would that not be the best move right now? I think that makes sense, but it's not a requirement. I think for some teams, it's a requirement to go pursue a guy like Wheeler. For Bind, I think he can get by with a lower end guy. He's got and really sort of Simon's point. It's it's depth on the offensive side that I think needs to get tuned up a little bit like Wheeler is great and makes him obviously a huge contender even more so but I don't think it's a necessity yeah no I'm just wondering because he could theoretically he could get Zach Wheeler and give up no major league assets at all to do it um he's got that he's got the minor league talent to pull it off if he was 
it, but it would come at quite a price to his farm system. So it's uh, it's definitely a tough move to make. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, he has the top end talent in, in the rotation too, is Garrett Cole and guy like Shane Boz is going to give good ratios in Logan Webb as well. I mean, you got a one, two right there and probably maybe even a three in Boz. And I mean, you just need to bring in another, like, I think Evan, that's spot on, like bring in another mid rotation guy, like a three, maybe with good ratios. Not, doesn't have to have high strikeouts or something like that, you know, just have a good ratios team. You know, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, try and rebuild the bullpen. Like you're saying, I, I, I think, I think this team has what it takes to, to do it. I just don't, I don't know if where, which guy he has to sell um, to sell on, but he, he has so many options. And I, I think the time is now for Bond. If you, if you I have a, I have a suggestion. I don't know. I mean, I, my suggestion is he trades Sam to bird for some form of pitching and outfielder. Trade Stanton to Bird, who uh -huh. needs an outfielder, like a big outfielder, for one of his pitchers and either a hitter or another or an RP. If Bird, I don't think Bird's willing to do an RP, but I think there's a deal to be made there. Um, that's just off the top of my head, though. Yeah. Trent, I also see a potential fit with uh, with you for uh, maybe Jose Altuve um, going by his way. I think makes a lot of sense if you're looking at his uh, second base situation, you know, Gene Segura and David Fletcher don't exactly inspire confidence at the position. Yeah. Um, he, he and I have talked about it and he, he wants to wait until after the draft to, to even look at stuff. And I'm, and I don't know, I know I've heard some other ducks talk about this too, like waiting until after the draft. I mean, like if you have the value lined up right now, I mean, I, I would, I would do it. I, he, he looks like a match for me, but the only problem is like, what am I going to get back? You know, I need outfield, depth and who's he going to trade you know is he going to give me stanton but the problem is like he gives me someone like stanton then who's he going to fill it in with he doesn't have the depth so he really needs to to create maybe with a lesser team and do some depth going moves. going off that point i don't think it's a one trade fix for his team like you're not going to get depth through one deal it's going to have to be i want to make a trade that really compromises me in a way and i have to make another one or two trades to fill in what's what's going to happen you're not going to make one one blockbuster and all your problems are going to be solved there. So you're going to have to put yourself in a weird spot, which some of some teams aren't very like very willing to do. Bird being like the first one, uh, put yourself in a weird spot. So then you can make another trade to put yourself in an even better spot than you were before. It's like the it's basically one step back, two steps forward. Oh, yeah, or maybe it's a situation like with um, like the wit trade that I made, where you know it's like in order to improve that relief pitcher. I had to take on a little more risk at second base. I gave up a very prudent commodity and wit, um, but I did it to, you know, address a very pressing need on my team to address that relief pitcher situation. So maybe that's something Bynum can do with his outfield. You know, maybe he moves Stanton for a higher risk outfield and a uh, better second base situation, perhaps. I'm just throwing out an idea. Well, you know, there's definitely, there's, I mean, he, he's got a lot of pieces to play with on his team, both major league and minor league pieces. So I think if he has the conviction to make some moves, I think he can make quite a bit of moves to improve his team. Uh, but I do, I, I do agree it's uh, with you, Liam. It's not just going to be one trade. Um, but he can definitely pull off a slew of trades this offseason if, if you really want to. Yeah, absolutely. So those, those are I, – I think that kind of gives us a good – array of takes that should hopefully help buy him but maybe maybe wake him up to what he needs to do um sometimes it's hard to make those those tough moves i mean he's done such a good job of putting all those top end pieces in there now he has to finish it off um so kind of to wrap up guys and getting good job today um like I'd, I'd love to hear maybe one one fun fact from each person and you know liam if you have any also if liam if you have anything to say to uh owen this is your chance so, uh, yeah, uh, Evan, why don't you start us off? Does it have to be league-related or, or where are we going here? It can be anything. Um, not only do I love playing fantasy baseball and love watching baseball, I also collect a ton of baseball cards. What's your, what's your prize card that you have? Uh, so, I, that's funny. It's actually not a baseball card. It's a football card. I have a Tom Brady rookie card. Oh, nice. That is my favorite card. That can't be very valuable. No, it's not worth anything. I paid $40 for it. Oh, shit. That's sick. When I was about seven. 
Dude, great, great investment. Dude was investing before he was even double digits. <laughs> before I even knew what it was. <laughs> Reed, what about you? Great episode with you guys. Great way to kick off uh, season two of the pod. I'll end on a, a fun duck fact for you guys. Uh, the average male mallard duck has about 11,900 feathers. Damn. Fun duck fact for you guys. Um, my fun fact is I'm wearing my secret salmon gift from behind uh, right now. My childish Bambino shirt. And I absolutely love this thing. So thank you, Bond. Um, and then I have a small message to Uga. Can you please, please, please just do something with your goddamn fucking team? I like, I mean, we saw it last year. DJ LeMay played out of his mind and it was an obvious trade candidate, but he just held him partially because he's a Yankees fan, partially just because he's Owen. Can you please move Zach Wheeler while his value is absolutely at his peak right now? Like, he's probably going to regress. It's just a matter of how much he's going to regress. Maybe he matches it for another year or two, but my God, like, if Uga's really in this league, he's got to trade Zach Wheeler like right now. Please do it before the draft. Please wake up. I, I'm 99% sure that Zach Wheeler's value will never be higher than this offseason. Not 99% yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think Owen's team is the perfect next candidate for our, our team spotlight on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. He could use it. He could really use it. <laughs> we we we'll should, uh, we should ask out. Dave to whip up an outline. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, guys, thanks so much for joining us and to our audience. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. It was, uh, it was great to uh, hear all the different takes from the ducks on all these different topics. We'll be with you probably another week and a half or so in another, another episode of the ducks on the pond podcast. Again, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.